a highly accomplished uh, global, global uh, business leader who entered Lebanese politics uh, after the assassination of his father, uh, the former Prime Minister Rafiq al-Hariri in February 2005, a cowardly and terroristic uh, act. The Prime Minister, as you all know, is the head of the future movement and also the leader of the majority of the Lebanese parliament uh, and one of the pillars of the March 14 movement, a polit political movement that was born after the assassination of the Prime Minister Rafi uh, al-Hariri. Equally important in my eyes, not just the, the formal introduction, uh, I think that Prime Minister Saad al-Hariri represents a new generation, a new generation of Arab leaders. Pragmatic, non-ideological, a consensus builder, and a bridge builder as well. These qualities, as you all know, are very critical. They are very critical to the governing of a diverse and complex society uh, like Lebanon, a country that often finds itself in the eye of regional and international uh, storms. Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, we are very much looking forward to listening to your address. We are very anxious about Lebanon. We are very anxious about Lebanon today. And I, I want to ask you uh, to address how serious is the internal crisis in Lebanon today? How polarized are the Lebanese? Are they as polarized as the inflated rhetoric would have it in Lebanon? How serious is the external threat, particularly on the Lebanese-Israeli border? And what can the international community do to prevent aggression against your country? The Prime Minister will speak for about 25 minutes, and he has kindly agreed to take questions between 25 minutes and uh, 30 minutes. Please join me in welcoming the Prime Minister of beautiful Lebanon to the London School of Economics. try to speak less and uh, answer more. Okay. <laughs> it's fine. Ladies and gentlemen, member of LSE, distinguished family, it is an honor to be here with you today at this prestigious institution an institution that has taken upon itself the mission of bringing academic expertise to bear on the issues and problems of society. The issues and problems of today's global society to which we all belong. I know many of you wonder why extremist messages and calls to action strike increasingly loud chord in the Arab and Muslim world. Ladies and gentlemen, LSE has adopted Rerum Cognoscere Causas, which means to know the cause of things as, it mo as its motto. And I would like to tell you what I believe makes a defined message so appealing to so many. It is a simple but profoundly important fact that for over half a century, most of our region has suffered from vicious and protracted cycles of violence, fear, anger, 
and deep frustration. At the heart of these cycles, cycles lies the unresolved tragedy of Palestine. Some of you may be thinking right now, oh no, not another one of those who cannot deal with his own problems and therefore blames everything on Israel. That is certainly not my purpose. Neither do I claim that if and when an Arab-Israeli settlement is reached and a Palestinian state is created, that all our problems will disappear. But this does not change the fact that a lot of the anger and frustration and readiness to respond to angry or defiant calls is indeed fueled by the powerful sights and sounds of the continuous tragedy in Palestine. A tragedy to which most people, people in our region are exposed on a daily basis. What I'm saying is not new. Many of you probably heard this before, but yes, I want to say it again, and the world should hear it yet again and again. It is that important. Ladies and gentlemen, ending this tragedy, which is at the center of the Arab-Israeli conflict, is of utmost global urgency. It is not only a matter of correcting the injustice done to the Palestinians for over three generations. We have all, and I mean all, been affected by this conflict, either directly or indirectly, often in violent ways. Lebanon has paid a severe price, and still does, and every day. Unfortunately, London has suffered as well. 2005 is still a fresh memory. The UK, as a major power and as a permanent member of the Security Council, has a moral, moral and historical responsibility to play a more active and effective role in reaching a viable settlement. When we look at the map of historical Palestine today, we realize that in some ways we are back to the same basic problem that Britain had to deal with as a mandate power 63 years ago, namely to partition the land between Arabs and Israelis. Today, after many wars and many waves of refugees, and Lebanon has been the recipient of many of these, partition is unavoidable. Ladies and gentlemen, in 2002, a hand for peace was extended to Israel from the city of Beirut. This was done through the Arab Peace Initiative, which was endorsed by Arab and Muslim countries. About 1.2 billion people in all. The Arab Peace Plan would create a Palestinian state on the 22% of historical Palestine occupied in 1967. As a basis of a genuine, genuine historical reconciliation between the two sides. Unfortunately, since then, Israeli governments have continued to reject or ignore 
the Arab Peace Initiative. The failure to end the Palestinian tragedy has no doubt contributed in a major way to the rise of violent extremism in Arab and Muslim societies. Let there be no mistake about it. Today, the insistence on continuing settlement building and the introduction of a new citizenship law by the Netanyahu government, which will create apartheid-like conditions, are bound to frustrate the peace efforts and make extremist messages even more appealing to Palestinians, Arab, and Muslim ears. Ladies and gentlemen, it is an understatement to say that mine is a complicated country. Very big misunderstatement. The complexity of Lebanon stems from facts of history and of geography. These facts have put Lebanon, a country of only 4,000 square miles and 4 million people at the crossroad and fault lines of practically all the cultural, national, religion, religious, and sectarian divides. This is what makes Lebanon so special and so complex and, yes, fragile at the same time. But complex as Lebanon may be, I believe that what most Lebanese really want is rather simple. It is, in fact, what people everywhere want. They want peace, security, and the opportunity to lead their lives normally. You give them that, and they can take care of the rest. And the rest means creating wonders from this little stretch of land on the eastern shores of the Mediterranean. They have shown this over and over again. The intensely rich demographic mix in Lebanon has undoubtedly made and, con and continues to make an exceptional cultural contribution to the Arab and Muslim world and the human civilization at large. Sorry. I like the bottle, I don't know why. It's a tick I have. <laughs> Our businessmen traders, renowned the world over, has all, have also shown over the centuries exceptional ingenuity and skills. Ladies and gentlemen, the term globalization has been with us only for a few, few decades. But a few millennia ago, our forefathers turned the old world around the Mediterranean into a globalized sea of international trade and cultural interaction. If we fast forward to this day, we see the same drive, energy, and Lebanese ingenuity making its mark in many places. We see this in Lebanon, and we, and we see it even more in Lebanese expatriate communities around the region and the world. This has enabled Lebanon, with its meager natural resources, to reach the highest per capita income by far among the non-oil Arab countries. We have also managed to achieve growth rates between 7 and 9% annually over the past four years. Our debt ratio are dropping fast, 
and our banking sector is as sound as ever. This despite, this despite being in an almost constant political crisis during that period. Ladies and gentlemen, while this may sound impressive, it only points to even greater heights that the Lebanese can reach if they are provided with a normal environment that allows them to realize their full potential. A secure environment where state authority prevails, a state and a, nation, a, state and a national security strategy that protects them from being dragged to wars, from, for, to wars every few years, a political system and a public administration that work normally, a judicial system that safeguards and enforces the rule of law, an infrastructure that me meets the needs of a modern economy. This in, this, in fact, is my basic agenda. It is also the cause behind which the Lebanese people rallied in the spring of 2005, the cause of democracy, the truth, good governance, and economic progress, the cause of independence, peace, and security. It is this cause that brought me into public life, public office, and it is still guides me in carrying out my responsibilities. A lot of this depends on us, Lebanese people and Lebanese leaders, whether we can strengthen the national common denominator and shun sectarian instincts and control narrow political interests. But a lot also depends on regional players and whether they will refrain from abusing Lebanon's fragile diversity, something that has characterized Lebanon modern history. And most of all, of all it depends on whether we will have the global leadership needed to reach a peace settlement, a comprehensive peace settlement, or fail again and go through yet another decade of conflict. Ladies and gentlemen, the cost, the cost of failure will be great. The payoff of success is even greater. Thank you for your attention. Please, let's keep the questions as short as possible so we can take as many questions as we have. Um, and shall we take four questions at a time? And then you'll choose? All right. Peace. Sir Prime Minister, thank you very much for being here and for taking the time to answer our questions. My name is Jana Jabour. I'm originally from Tripoli, North Lebanon, and I'm a student in international affairs here. So my question is the following. Um, very often we hear Lebanese politicians talking about the urgent necessity of building a new modern Lebanese state. But of course, uh, to reach this goal, it is important to integrate the ideas and the energy of young people. So my question is, what, concretely speaking, what are the opportunities Lebanon has to offer for young competent and talented people in order to encourage them to come back to their home uh, country 
and a related question, um, is there really a space for independent young people within the Lebanese clique in power? Thank you very much. Thank you. Chris? Uh, yes, I'd like to um, echo those thanks for a very interesting talk, Prime Minister Hariri. Um, my question's actually about um, Lebanon's sectarian uh, electoral system. Um, there was a recent march this summer in Beirut um, against the sectarian electoral system, and of course it was included in the Taif Accord that uh, Lebanon would develop beyond the sectarian system. Um, I was just wondering whether or not um, moving beyond the current electoral system that is sectarian, uh, divided on, along sectarian lines is something that you think will happen in the future and perhaps something that you will try and initiate yourself. Thank you, Chris. Hadi? Good evening, Mr. Prime Minister. It's a pleasure to be here tonight. Thank you for sharing your words and opinions with us. Uh, my name is Hadi Makarim. I'm an IR PhD student here in the LSC. And my question is uh, similarly related to Chris's question. It's about the, the political system in Lebanon. Do you believe that Lebanon is deeply and ceaselessly caught up in regional disputes because of its socio-confessional system, because of its sectarian system? And if you agree, what do you think the Lebanese should do to strengthen its political system? If you don't agree, if you've got any other ideas why they've become ceaselessly and deeply um, uh, caught up in the regional disputes, what else do you think has caused this to happen? Thank Thanks, you. Heidi. Please, final question for the first round. Hi, uh, my name is Maya Boadi, also a Lebanese citizen and a student here at LSE. My question is actually related to the Lebanese budget. Uh, we haven't passed a budget in the country since 2005. It's been four years and we can't even come to an agreement to the spending that we've had these past four years in the government. Some people tend to say that actually keeping public spending outside of government has benefited the country. You've, you've pointed out to those numbers, the GDP growth uh, and the GDP to debt ratio being reduced. Uh, and then other, peoples are, uh, other people such as your advisors are being quoted in the newspapers, just Financial Times, just yesterday, saying that you know, these are bottlenecking uh, the investment projects, the infrastructure projects, and we really need to come to an agreement to that. So where do you stand on the issue of the budget? I think uh, if you look at the movement uh, of 14th of March, it was built on, uh, on the youth of Lebanon. And I, I totally agree with you that uh, the youth of Lebanon is the main mover for uh, any uh, economical or political change in, in Lebanon. Uh, I think uh, the youth, uh, our responsibility towards the youth has different, you know, maybe priorities. One, one of them is to make sure that when you're 18 years old, you can vote in Lebanon. So far, until you, you need to reach 21, and this is a law that needs to be changed, and unfortunately, so far, we haven't been able to change, to change it. A lot of uh, Lebanese travel or leave Lebanon, when either to study outside or to work outside. And that is due either not because they can't find jobs or either because of the instability of the, in Lebanon. My answer to all of this is I think uh, Lebanon is definitely a country where there is a lot of 
contradictions. Uh, if you look at what happened in Lebanon in the past five years, six years, and if it happened in any different country, I think you would have had civil war just way before. But Lebanon is a, such a resilient country, and, uh, and the youth in Lebanon is, is the main, uh, main protector of, 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 of this kind of Lebanon of, confession, of different confessions in, in Lebanon. I don't think confessionalism uh, or different confession, 18 confession is the problem in Lebanon. I think the problem in Lebanon is that we live in an area where there is conflict. We didn't start the conflict in 1948. We didn't receive the Palestinians because we wanted to receive them, because there was something new that came to the region called Israel. And that started all this you know, conflict of, among the Lebanese and in the region. Uh, I think the richness of Lebanon is this Islamic, Muslim, Islamic Christian uh, mixture. And this has been for centuries. As you know, centuries ago, the Christians were the ones who protected the Arab language and the, and the Muslims in, 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 in Mount Lebanon. These are facts of history. This is the, the reality of Lebanon. I think the problem lays, like I said, said it before, is imagine today we have peace between Israel and Syria, between Israel and the Palestinians, and between Syria and Israel and and most of the Arab world, and including Lebanon. Would we be talking about confessionalism? Would we be talking about you know, who is getting what in, in, in Lebanon? We'd be talking about economics, or we'd be talking about more jobs, or, or the budget, why didn't they pass the budget? But now we talk about this confessionalism in a way, because yes, in a time of conflict, people will always go back to their you know, to protect themselves. And today, yes, Lebanese today feel that they are afraid. Each confession feels that it is afraid of, for its own existence. Some people say that, you know, uh, in the region there is a, 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 a alliance of minorities. In Lebanon, we are all minorities. There is not a majority in Lebanon. There is, the Muslims are not a majority, the Christians are not a majority, the Sunnis are not a majority, the Shia are not a majority, nobody is a majority in Lebanon. The only majority we have is, are the Lebanese people, that's what I believe. But in moments of conflict, and this is what we, we suffer from in Lebanon today, because we have conflict, because we've had six wars in the past 30 years against Israel, we've had a, a, a civil war in Lebanon that devastated Lebanon. These are real problems that we face and we have to solve. But I think the main essential problem is the end solution for us, for me, would be a comprehensive peace settlement. On the election, on the election law, I think, I think we, we, we passed through the government uh, an election law for the municipality where we had uh, um, uh, شو اسمها هيدي النسبية proportional proportional system I think that's 
a way of getting out of, of uh, confessionalism. Uh, another way is, uh, is by getting the youth also involved in the elections. Because you go to Lebanon today and you hear all the political or you read the newspapers and, and you find you know, that it is something that is so divided, Pe people are so divided. But then you go at night and, and you go around the streets and you find the young men and women uh, you know, partying together, sitting together, uh, going to dinner together, Muslims going to iftar at Christian, uh, in Christian areas where they have friends. All, all, all of this is a reality. Um, and we need to uh, better our election law and, and, uh, and uh, have a more modern one. Yes, we do. I think in the last law we've passed several, several uh, you know, uh, uh, reforms to the law. Uh, these reforms now need to be implemented. I, I, I will not say that we can implement everything tomorrow. And I will, because I think Lebanon is a little bit more complicated than saying we will do that tomorrow. But I think the more reforms that we will implement, the better it is for the country. And to end sectarianism, I, I truly believe that a comprehensive peace in the region will be the ultimate. Because today, this whole conflict of religion, let's say, between Muslims and Christians and, and Israelis or Jews, it's, it's political. It's not religious. I mean, there's nothing between uh, a Sunni and a Shia, how they pray. There's no, there is no difference in, in that. It's, there's nothing between a Christian and a Muslim religiously. He believes in that and I believe in that. Or, a, or, even, uh, or even a Jew. It's not about religion. It's political. It's something that the Palestinians need to, to, to get their land back. And part of that part of the land and the Arabs need to have a peace, pro peace treaty with uh, you know, a comprehensive peace. Thank you. Thanks. And about the Lebanese budget, sorry. The Lebanese budget, yeah, I know since 2005, but since, since 2005 we had the war in 2006. You, you know what happened in 2008. And uh, today we have a national uni unity government. We passed the budget in 2010 in the government. It needs to go to the to the to the parliament in parliament we do have a lot of argument my my uh, position position is we have to pass the budget of 2010 and 2011 as soon as possible unfortunately some people will use it politically but nevertheless never the less we have to do it second round four questions please Can you that? Yes. Hello, my name is Ruba Abdelhadi Mhaisen. I'm also a Lebanese. Um, I'd like to ask you, um, how would you address the, Lebanese, the part of the Lebanese who think that unfortunately our only way forward is leaving the international tribution back ba uh, behind? Uh, whereas yesterday was a very uh, important date for all of us. So how would you address this part of the Lebanese? Thank you. Thanks. Please. 
behind you, please. Hi, good evening. Um, I have learned that um, homosexuality is illegal in Lebanon, and I would like to hear your views on that um, subject, please. On what? What was, what was the question? I've learned that homosexuality is illegal in Lebanon, mm. and I would like to have the Prime Minister's view on this matter. All right. Shall we? Please. We're trying to be fair. And Uh, the gentleman here, third row, yes. Thank you, Prime Minister. Uh, I'm Michael Kerr, LSE alumni and friend of Lebanon. And they say good fences uh, make good neighbours, and other people would say that good neighbours make good neighbours. Uh, Lebanon has neither. What can you... <laughs> Can, can you in your political uh, lifetime or career envisage Lebanon's borders being uh, defendable by the state? And what can the international community do uh, to help Lebanon uh, create and gain an army uh, that is, is capable of doing just that? Thanks. The young woman behind him, please. Hi, good evening. Um, my name's Scala. I'm a history undergraduate. I'm not Lebanese, but I've spent a lot of time in your country and I've grown to love it. Um, my question is concerning the Palestinians and Lebanese, and I sympathize, Lebanon, sorry, I sympathize hugely with what you're saying, but given that, how can you justify their treatment in Lebanese society? Thanks. I know that uh, there's great division or some division in Lebanon vis-a-vis -vis the STL, the Special Tribunal for Lebanon. And some people do have some con concerns. My approach has been and will always be that all concern needs to be addressed in a, uh, a non-escalating manner and in a dialogue that if there are real concerns, we need to find these solutions or this, these cons tackle these concerns and see a way out. I think escalating in any position in, in politics only leads you to more tension, especially in a country like Lebanon. Uh, I do understand some of their concerns. It, it is real concern. It is concern for me also because I don't want to be a prime minister that does not unify Lebanon. I do not represent a part of Lebanon. I represent every single person in Lebanon. And this is what I believe that I should do. This, what, this is what my father did when he was prime minister. And this is through dialogue, through real understanding of what, what everyone is concerned in this tribunal needs to be addressed in a, in a, in a scientific and, and, and real way. Um, I. For your question about, uh, you know, how can you protect Lebanon? Look, I really believe you can, we will have, we can have many wars. And Israel can attack us another six times or ten times. But will, will, will that resolve the issue? Will that be the solution? Will Lebanon go away? Will Saad Hariri go away? Will will the Lebanese people vanish or the Palestinians vanish? They will not vanish. 
we are there to stay and we will stay what Israel needs to understand that they have to make peace with the Arab world Mr. Netanyahu and others in Israel have to understand that in the end a comprehensive peace is in the interest of Israel and in the interest of the region this whole talk about you know security how can you have security while you are in the same time doing what you're doing uh, with the Palestinians on the Palestinian issue in Lebanon yes we did have for a very long time problems with the Palestinians in Lebanon refugees but I would like to tell you that this government for the first time passed a law in Parliament that will allow Palestinians to work like anybody else in, in Lebanon you know just passing this law at one point in Lebanon would have triggered a civil war and we were able to pass this law you have no clue when you have a small country like Lebanon and all of a sudden now we have 400,000 or 300,000 refugees but before we had much more in the, in the early years and, and this is a total change in our demogra demogra uh, demography in Lebanon and this is a concern for all Lebanese we are for the right of return to, of Palestinians to, to Palestine to their homeland and, uh, and I believe that uh, today uh, we are doing a lot we still have to do much more but uh, to, you know two wrongs don't make a right if we are wrong they are dead wrong in Israel. We need to fix what we need to fix in Lebanon to give them, you know, uh, jobs and, and better living. But are they doing this in Israel? Are they doing this in the West Bank or Gaza? They're not. And uh, our neighbors, <laughs> yeah, we will, uh, I think we've opened new relationship with Syria. Hopefully so this relationship will will shape up to uh, have a better relationship between the institutions of Lebanon, between the government of Syria, the government of Lebanon. I will stay very, uh, my position will always be that uh, we should have the best relationship with Syria, but on the basis of each country respecting the other country and its sovereignty and its independence. This is what's important for Lebanon, and it is as important for Syria for it to understand this. Thank you. Thank you. Third round, we should probably take some questions from, please. Mr. Prime Minister, thank you for your honesty. Uh, if and if so, to what extent do you believe Syria can help you to further your agenda for stability in Lebanon? Thank you. Thanks. Can we, yes, please. Thanks, Prime Minister. I'm Gustavo Barbosa. I'm a PhD student here in anthropology. Uh, the special tribunal for Lebanon exhibit, exhibited irregularities in the past, which have led to unfounded accusations against Syria. Is it not possible now that its accusations against Hezbollah are also irregular? Can one really allow such a tribunal, which lacks legitimacy within Lebanon, to go on about pointing its finger at anyone given its history? As a statesman, 
Do you not see a conflict between, between your duty to maintain what's already a fragile peace in Lebanon and your support for this special tribunal? Thank you. Please. My name is Khalid and I was a former student here at the LSE. My question to you is with regards to your 17 agreements with Iran recently. From what I understand, Central Bank of Lebanon would have to give a $300 million guarantee to Iran. And many analysts argue that by proceeding with those agreements, you would be in direct breach of UN sanctions against Iran. So how do you plan on tackling this issue, especially given the seven sensitivities of your relationship with the United States and some of the other, well, anti-Iran countries? Thank you. One more question from, please. Yeah. We're trying to be fair, spread the questions around. The more the merrier. Yes, of course. <clears throat> Uh, Mr. Prime Minister, my name is Alex Nasser. I'm a French Lebanese student at the LSE. And uh, after the attack of, uh, of a Christian church in Iraq, I wanted to have your, view, your viewpoint about the, um, the future of the, Christ the Christian communities in the Middle East, especially in Lebanon, the Maronite community and the Orthodox Christian church in Lebanon. I wanted to have your viewpoint on what was going to happen to this community. Thank you. Uh, having a better relationship with Syria is important for Lebanon, not only uh, for the stability, but also for the geography. We need Syria because it's important uh, economically. All, all the goods that we do have in Lebanon, need, they either go by ship or through Syria. Uh, definitely, historically, the relationship between the past five years with Lebanon has been a very tough relationship. The last year when we bettered our relationship with Syria, uh, we have seen a, a calmer Lebanon. And that's a positive uh, uh, indication uh, that we, 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 we would like to see more of it. It is not a secret that, uh, that uh, some countries can affect Lebanon or other countries, not only Lebanon, with uh, stability. But having a real discussion with President Bashar al-Assad about all issues that are of importance for Lebanon and, uh, and, and Syria, we want to understand as Lebanon, what is it that Syria would like from Lebanon and what is it that Lebanon would like from Syria? And this is, you know, the discussion that is ongoing. It is a kind of, you know, Lebanon has always suffered from some interference of Syria into Lebanese politics, which is now much <coughs> less than it used to be. But the important thing now is that we came to an understanding that the, the important issues between Lebanon and Syria are economical, political when it comes to Israel and what's going to happen with the peace process, and also um, uh, the demarcation, delineation of the borders. 
Um, the uncertain and the security of Syria also is, you know, anything that threatens Syria is important for the Syrians to know if it's coming from Lebanon, if anything that's threatening Lebanon that we should know about it. Building these, this relationship is not going to be easy after five years of real, you know, clash between us and them. I think there is a, a, a time where we will build confidence between the two countries and uh, eventually this relationship will come to its, where it's, uh, it should be as a good relationship between two Arab countries. Uh, you know, as for the STL, there are a lot of speculation who is, to, who is going to be indicted. And I've said it before when, uh, when uh, my father got assassinated brutally on 14th of February 2005. It wasn't the STL that accused Syria or accused anybody. It was the Lebanese people on 2005, 14th of February, who came out with this accusation. And with time, this tribunal or this investigation has been ongoing for the past six years, almost. A lot of accusations has, has come out. Some have accused Syria. Some have accused uh, uh, Hezbollah. Some have accused Israel. Some have accused some other Arab countries. Some have accused Saudi Arabia. Some have accused uh, Egypt. Some have accused me killing my father, if you can imagine that. So speculations about the, new, the indictments are many. My uh, approach, like I said in the beginning, is some people would like to abolish the tribunal. And a lot of people in Lebanon want the tribunal. You have to tackle both issues at the same time and making sure that there will be no division in the country uh, and the outcome if you have a serious dialogue vis-a-vis -vis all of that. Uh, abolishing is going to also frustrate and divide Lebanon in a very huge way and not abolishing is also going to divide Lebanon in a very huge way. So basically, guys, instead of talking in the media, instead of shouting at each other, let's sit down and talk. This is the way things should be resolved. We signed 17 agreements with Iran. None of it are financial uh, with uh, the... Uh, with, uh, Lebanon has not agreed to give any guarantees for uh, any Iranian bank in, uh, within the 17 agreement. Iran has offered to finance $450 million in the energy sector. We, haven't, we don't know how this is going to be done. There will be negotiations, and once we go down to the negotiations, we will make sure that UN resolutions are respected as they should be. Uh, Christians in the Middle East. As you know, there was a synod that was made, synodos made in, in the Vatican just a few weeks ago. 
And one thing that the synodus came out about the Christians in the Middle East is that there should be an end to the Arab-Israeli conflict. And historical Palestine, there was 27% of the, pe of the people of Palestine were Christians. Today, they are less than 1%. In Lebanon, people leave Lebanon, Christians and Muslims, because there is conflict, there is instability, there is no future. Some would say there is no you know, future or opportunity. But the core problem why people are leaving, leaving Lebanon is because of the instability. Give me instability and I'll tell you, I'll, make sure, I'll, I'll give you that all Christians will come back to Lebanon and all Lebanese will come back to Lebanon. You're living in London. Uh, you have electricity, you have everything that you want, right? But imagine a young man in Lebanon or a young man in Egypt or a young man in, in Palestine who is a Christian or a young man in, in Syria or a young man in Iraq how do you want him to stay there if there is no security, stability, electricity, school to go to, hospital? All of this are the necessity of lives today. And I think if we, if we manage to, to, to get the stability and security in Lebanon, I'll, 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 I can give you my word that everybody's going to come back to Lebanon. One more Thank round. You. I missed one more round. Two more rounds. Great, that's great. Thank you. Shall we take this idea? There are three questions. Thanks. Thank you for your time. Please. Good evening, uh, Mr. Prime Minister. Um, my name is Carl Charo. I'm a Lebanese writer and architect based in London. Um, and I was very lucky to be one of the fir uh, first people to work on the reconstruction of downtown uh, with Solidar. I've worked on a lot of projects there. And I think it's quite important for the question that I'm going to ask. Because um, it appears that the 14th of March movement has become a very defensive movement, movement recently. And people are asking, where is the political project? Um, what we know for sure is your opponents have no political project. So wouldn't, instead of being in this defensive position and allow, us to, uh, allow them to attack constantly, wouldn't it be better to go back to that solid political project and economic project that was started by your late father and to gain the trust and the confidence of the Lebanese people through politics itself and development rather than getting stuck in this very defensive position we found ourselves in now? Thank you. The one, the one behind them, please. And then the young lady Mr. Them. Prime Minister, my name is uh, Omar Kashba, and I'm an Egyptian undergraduate law student here at LSE. And uh, my question is as follows. Uh, Henry Kissinger once asked, if I want to talk to Europe, who do I call? And today his answer can be answered with some confidence. The European Union as a body is capable of exerting its will on the international plane. So how close do you think Arab nations are to replicating that process, and how do you perceive Egypt and Saudi Arabia's role in any process like that? Please. 
Um, you mentioned the necessity for stupi geo geopolitical stability in your region a lot, um, and through an Israeli-Lebanese um, peace treaty, preferably. However, even if that peace treaty were to take place and you were to find an agreement, how meaningful would such a peace agreement be if the Hezbollah do not agree to it and continue to, um, to um, pursue their cause in the way that they have been? Thanks. We have, we have one, one question here, please, in the front. Mr. Prime Minister, thank you so much for coming. My name is Suleiman Hakimi. I'm a student at the LSE. Um, we have many heads of state and government visit the LSE, and they provide us with a wonderful opportunity uh, to share their political views and have a discussion. But I was wondering from a much more personal level, um, we're students, and you're on the lecture podium. So if you could offer us kind of one, one teaching, or if you could offer me a bit of wisdom, a lot of us someday want to hold office. So what would that be? Don't. <laughs> Run. <laughs> no, actually. I think uh, the feeling for the 14th of March movement and political uh, life there will be ups and downs. And I think what we have gained uh, in the past four or five years, we have achieved a lot in this movement. Maybe certain times we believe that, or we look like, you know, and we are losing momentum, or, uh, or the, 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 the inspiration that we went down on the 14th of March 4 is not there anymore. But I believe sometimes in, uh, in politics you have to sit back and, and, and see is everything that you have done has unified the country. 14th of March 2005 was a, was a, a Lebanese you know, painting uh, where you saw all of the, all of the Lebanese uh, holding the Lebanese flag, and it was Lebanon, Lebanon par excellence. You know, they, the feeling was a lot of you know people were astounded of what they could have achieved that day. And I think, uh, but what we need to understand also on that day there were people in Lebanon that weren't there, and this is something that we need to deal with. And, uh, and I think uh, we have achieved our independence, our sovereignty. We have the STL. We have a unity government. We won elections in 2009, which was a very difficult election, as you know. But sometimes, you know, you, yani, you move forward, and then you have to step back because you have to fix something. Uh, you have to see the problems that you are around you, and especially in a country that is so divided like Lebanon. If you step more forward, you'll be stepping on people. And if you stay still, you need to look, to look what is happening around you. 
and take some decisions. Sometimes they are hard on you. Sometimes, I know I took some decisions that were very hard on me, but I took them not for me. It is not something personal. The STL, Rafiq Hariri, it's not, you know, it's not, yes, he is my father, but they didn't kill him because he was my father. They killed him because he's a vision. He's a, he's a way of life of Lebanon. He's a unifying person in Lebanon. So therefore, I think, you know, you should not, one should not you know, think that uh, because today we, we look like uh, we're on the defensive. We're not on the defensive. We're not the ones who want to abolish the STL. This is not us being defensive. This is us being, you know, why do you want to cancel or abolish the STL? This is a big question mark that everybody, even themselves, they ask it, the people who want to abolish it. So I think you, what I'm trying to say is, if you look at my father's legacy, and my father came in 1992 in Lebanon. I don't know if you read about it, but most people uh, who didn't, he came, there was no electricity, no water. Roads were destroyed. The airport was totally a very small airport. No uh, telecommunication. Uh, destruction all over Lebanon. And in 2005, when he was assassinated, the country was tenfold the GDP that when he first came in. And he had fixed a lot. What I'm trying to say, the difficulties that he had to face day in and day out didn't make him move away from the vision and the road that he started, uh, he, he, he went along on. He believed in Lebanon, he believed in the people of Lebanon, he believed in the youth of Lebanon, and he went on and continued to build Lebanon and to build every single stone in it, whether it's the schools, universities, airports, roads, uh, or even the Lebanese identity. He always refused to be called a, a confessional leader. He wanted always to be a national leader. And this is the way I try also to, 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 to tell people. Being a confessional leader in Lebanon is not a big deal. You can do it. But being a national leader is the achievement that very few people in Lebanon, very few prime ministers, very few presidents were able to achieve it. And this is what, we, what I would love to achieve. So I don't think we're, you know, uh, we're not losing or we're not gaining, we're just, we have to take some decisions in the coming future and it has to be decisions that unify the country. The Arab League is a, is a league that has started, unfortunately, is in a, in a position that is not where we would like to see it. But I think what we need to concentrate on in the Arab League is, uh, you know, the economics, integration between all the Arab nations. If we integrate our economies together, if we open the borders between the Arab world, the Arab countries, and if we and if we let the uh, flow of goods uh, go all the way from the furthest uh, from Algeria all the way to 
to to Syria and Iraq and, and, and Jordan. This is, I think, the basic of becoming a major uh, power in the, in, the, in, in the world, in the international community. And from there, Saudi Arabia and, and, and Egypt can play a bigger role. Uh, when I said about the Arab-Lebanese-Israeli treaty, and I meant the most important thing is not the Lebanese-Israeli treaty, because we saw when Israel takes upon itself to, to negotiate with one country like they did with the Palestinians, uh, it, it will never get anywhere. For me, a comprehensive peace. What a comprehensive peace for me means, in my own you know, thinking, is that Israel will come to terms that it needs to make peace with the Palestinians and on the basis of, of the 1967 borders of having East Jerusalem being the capital of Palestine and a solution for the right of return of the Palestinians. When I say comprehensive peace, it means the return of the Golan Heights to the 1967 4th of June uh, borders with the, Golan, with the Syrians and <clears throat> with Lebanon returning all, according to 425, all Lebanese land to, Liban, to, to Israelis. And then nobody in the Arab world, whether it's Hezbollah or anybody in the Arab world, will stand in front of this peace. And that I can assure you. The last question about, uh, you know, public life is a... Uh, is, uh, you know, unfortunately, I, I didn't go through, you know, the, the normal way of going, entering into public life. I went straight to, after the assassination of my father, I had to take a, a very intense course of politics, and especially Lebanese politics that are very difficult. I think changing, uh, if you really want to do something for your country, you have to really believe in what you want to do, and you have to understand that you will be sacrificing a lot of yourself and a lot of your life for that cause. Uh, you will have no more privacy, you will have no more uh, uh, time for yourself. And I think putting the country at, in, in always in ahead of anything that you believe, you know, your brothers, your sisters, your family, your your friends is, is the most important thing, and you should be able to do that. And if you can do that, uh, it will become a conflict within yourself. And I think you'll make a great politician, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Shall we take? Just because you asked the question. Shall we take three more questions? Yeah. Yes. Please. Good evening, Prime Minister. My name is Noor Al-Ajaji. I'm a Saudi student at LSE. And uh, in the news a few days ago, there was um, this initiative from you to urge Iraqi uh, politicians to accept the Saudi invitation to end the political disputes within Iraq. My question is, isn't it a bit contradicting that Lebanese politicians are themselves in dispute? And why is the Arab League or the Arab world or the Arab World League living under this 
optimistic, idealistic state that is not really happening, or those idealistic um, visions or aims that are not really taking place at the moment. Thank you. Martha? Professor Martha Mandy. Yes, I wanted to ask you, it's of course very difficult to answer the questions about the International Tribunal since essentially that's an American decision. But there are some things that are within your hands and particularly two days ago it rained heavily and once again the garbage mound inside spilled into the sea, washed up to Beirut. It's more than 10 years in your hometown at a cost that's generally estimated at only $10 million to get rid of that enormous environmental damage. Why, Prime Minister, has that never been done? Thank you. Two more questions, please. Um, hi, Mr. Prime Minister. Thanks for coming to LSC. Um, given Hezbollah's uh, rootedness in Lebanese society, its vast network of clinics, hospitals, schools, um, and charities, how do you envision Hezbollah's role in the coming 10 years and its relationship with the, the government? One final question, please. Thank you for your time, Mr. Prime Minister. My name is Nicholas Hindi, and uh, I'm an AUB alumni working now in mergers and acquisitions. My question to you is, um, you're about, your, um, about the solution, the global solution with Israel. How can we as Arabs make a global solution, and particularly as Lebanese, when Hezbollah has repeatedly vowed to destroy Israel, not only defend us from the aggressions of Israel, but to destroy it? So isn't it like a contradiction to this global peace that we all aspire to? I don't see the harm in, in, in when the custodian of the two holy mosques uh, you know, comes out with a, you know, a proposition for all Iraqis to meet in Saudi Arabia and, uh, and me as the Prime Minister of Lebanon endorsing that. Um, there's no, I don't see the contradiction in that. I think uh, uh, especially also, you know, I'm half Iraqi. I don't know if you know that. <laughs> I have interest in Iraq. Uh, I think we have seen Iraq torn apart uh, so many times in the past eight years. Unfortunately, in the past eight months, the Iraqis are trying very hard to establish a government. And uh, the people who are paying the price in Iraq are the citizens of Iraq. Uh, the King of Saudi Arabia asked all the Iraqi political parties to come to, to Saudi Arabia to talk and to see a solution for that. Because I think Saudi Arabia had a position in the past vis-a-vis -vis certain political parties. Uh, and by inviting all the political parties, it is showing that it does not have a problem with one political party. It, is, it wants to unify the Iraqis around Iraq and, and, and what it uh, 
and the interests of Iraq. And me as a Prime Minister of Lebanon, we need to encourage those Iraqis because we have friends in Iraq, we have friends in, you know, in the political parties in Iraq, and uh, we have to say to them also uh, the things that we really believe in. Because as much as they will fight against each other like we fought in Lebanon for so many 18 years, but in the end, we all sat in the, on, a, on a round table and we solved our problems with the help of Arab countries like Saudi Arabia, like Syria, like Egypt, like Algeria and Morocco at the time. So Arab countries can help uh, certain in certain conflicts uh, when you have civil strife, like uh, civil war almost in Iraq. I think countries like Saudi Arabia that has a lot of political weight in, in the region, I think this is something that is going to be good for, <coughs> for Iraq. In Saida, and uh, what is happening on the shores of Saida, I would like to uh, announce to you that uh, I think just uh, the last Council of Ministers we approved the budget to clean up and build a, a, a breakwater to stop all the garbage being uh, uh, sp spread around uh, all the shores of Lebanon. Unfortunately, this is a problem uh, that has been there not for 10 years. It has been there for more than 15 years, actually, and 20 years. Uh, the political uh, <clears throat> the political problems that uh, stop this from uh, being resolved is is obviously you know the you know the problems that we always have in Lebanon. I mean, one of the things that you will not believe, like why do we have an electricity problem in Lebanon? Because in 1998, since 1998, because of political division, they decided not to invest one penny in energy. So today we're running at 1,400 megawatt. They were 1,800 at one point. Now they're 1,400 megawatt. And we didn't invest one penny because somebody didn't want to make this plan pass in the government or in parliament. This show, it tells you how much you know, the political division sometimes can affect the country. On the last question, Hezbollah comes out, and I'll answer also Hezbollah's role. But on the last question, when Hezbollah comes out and says, you know, we want to annihilate Israel and all of that language, even if whatever they said or threatened Israel. But have you heard what Mr. Netanyahu said or Ashkenazi said or what, uh, or what uh, Lieberman said about Lebanon? How they're going to uh, hit the government and the infrastructure and they will make... You know, in 2006, 2006, Hezbollah kidnapped two Israeli soldiers. It was a clear message from Hezbollah, maybe crossing the blue line and doing what they did. 
and we had a lot of argument in Lebanon vis-a-vis -vis this position. But does it justify that Israel decides to annihilate the south of Lebanon and to destroy every single bridge that Lebanon has and hits every fuel tank we have as storage in Lebanon? Is this justifiable? I mean, if this is justifiable, why do we have the UN? Why do we have the Geneva Conventions? And in the last three days, just for your knowledge, in the last three days of the war, when every, actually the last 18 hours, Muhammad, correct me, 18 hours, when we set the, the zero hour to stop the hostility, the cessation of hostilities, there was 1.8 million uh, cluster bomb dropped on Lebanon. 1.8 million cluster bomb dropped on Lebanon. So I think uh, talking about what Hezbollah said today or what Netanyahu said yesterday, the important thing is that is there global leadership to go to a comprehensive peace? The, the big question mark today is is we don't have global leadership to go to peace. I think in Israel there was one leader who wanted peace, it was Rabin. He wanted to make peace with uh, the Palestinians. Uh, he wanted to make peace with the, with the Syrians. With the, and he made peace with the Jordanians. Uh, and, and he did it. But today you tell me somebody like Netanyahu wants peace. I don't think, you know, he's serious about peace. Hezbollah has, you know, like any political party in Lebanon, has, uh, you know, they do services for, uh, for people, like all political parties in Lebanon. The question, the key question is, you know, we need to have a, you know, strong central government. If we strengthen ourselves, if we give people electricity and telecommunication and we do the infrastructure like it's supposed to be done, if we, if we, if we build the schools and universities and hospitals, if we give social security, if the government is able, and we are able to do that, and I think we have done a lot, we still need to do very little to get there. A lot of, a lot of those things have been done uh, in, in Lebanon. Uh, I think that was the answer for the last question. I want to thank you all for giving me this opportunity and to bore you with all my answers. But I hope one day all of you come to Lebanon and uh, you know, although you see a lot on television uh, and you hear a lot about Lebanon and you hear a lot, a lot about you know, the divisions in Lebanon. But once you are in Lebanon, I'll, I'll, I'll bet you, you will not be able to come back from Lebanon because it's a beautiful country and you will be partying day in and day out. Thank you. Really. Please. Thank you, Prime Minister.
for being transparent, genuine, and, and blunt with your questions. Please remain seated.